Blog Talk Radio. the Frontier Beyond Fear live broadcast, and this program is also on several popular podcast platforms, but this is Susan, Laris, and Dan coming to you live most Saturdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Today, I promised you we would explore more deeply some concepts that came up in the last program, particularly starting with a portion of a poem by Ralph Waldo, actually, no, not Ralph Waldo Emerson, we will be talking about Ralph Waldo Emerson in a minute, getting ahead of myself, William William Blake. And last time, we referred to just a portion of a poem by William Blake, which once again we will do because this is a very long poem, Auguries of Innocence. William Blake lived from 1757 to 1827, and he is known for the mysticism in his writings. To see a world in a grain of sand and a heaven in a wildflower. Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. A robin redbreast in a cage puts all heaven in a rage a dove house filled with doves and pigeons shudders hell through all its regions. And this poem continues on to discuss what is compatible with the notion of the divine everywhere and what is not. And it talks about a number of um, lower vibrational things, such as trapping a robin, trapping nature, and how, although, of course, everything is a part of the omnipresent divine, these things are, are not at the highest vibrational level. And that's what we're going to talk about today, because one of the more difficult concepts on Earth, and really everywhere, I would imagine, is why do things seem imperfect if we really are a part 
of the omnipresent divine. And that just means that the divine is everywhere. And let me once again welcome those of you from all around the world who are listening to this broadcast, because I know that you come to this program with a wide variety of spiritual beliefs. And a concept that is very shared within many belief systems is this notion of God being everywhere. That is also often related to the divine being love. And this program has discussed, for example, 1 Corinthians 13, which so beautifully conveys unconditional love and what unconditional love actually is. So let's look a little bit more closely at the lines that we just read from William Blake. I went a little farther than I did last time because it brings in many concepts of the beauty of nature, the freedom of nature. And you're going to find that the omnipresent divine is a freeing concept. And when something is incompatible with the highest vibration of unconditional love, why we're here on this earth, um, we're not puppets on a string to the divine. That's why there are imperfections here. Things that we learn and we grow through, through our free choices. It is a fundamental concept embedded within the notion of why are we here and what is our relationship to the divine. There would be no point for beautiful creations such as ourselves to simply be like marionettes at a puppet show. We are so much more than that. And we are loved because of that. And if we could, within our world, embrace this notion, and if we could have this concept of this love that binds us all together, it would greatly change our lives and the world. And knowing that we are a part of something greater and that that something greater is within us helps us every day because, of course, we can never be alone. And no matter what path our lives and this world take, it is still within encompassed by the omnipresent divine. It really does say it all, omnipresence, because it is all. To see the a world in a grain of sand and a heaven in a wildflower, hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. Notice how time 
is such an important part of this reflection because linear time is an illusion, is an illusion. Even our scientific studies of time show that how we think about time is not the way it actually is. And Albert Einstein had a lot to say about that. There is so much more to this world than meets the eye. Infinity is literally in the palm of your hand. And we'll be exploring some other writings today talking about how nature helps to connect us to this omnipresence. I know, depending on where you are in the world, here it is spring and it's so beautiful and I posted a picture that I had just taken of a beautiful blossoming tree and perhaps where you are it is fall. I know that some of you are experiencing extreme heat and perhaps Things are withering around you. I know some of you, in fact, those of you who are experiencing extreme heat right now, because I know that we do have a few listeners in the desert regions where it has been very hot. There is a notion of comfort and faith and of trust in the divine. Something that William Blake reminds us of is how important it is to respect the beauty around us, how we can be in partnership with nature. I'm going to move on. In fact, perhaps this is an appropriate time to bring you yet another Sufi mystic. This is someone who is quite a favorite of many, um, Rabia al-Basri. Rabia al-Basri lived from 717 to 801. Rabia is known as an early Sufi mystic and is also considered a Sufi saint. I'm going to read Rabia's poem, Reality, which is a relatively short verse. In love, nothing exists between heart and heart. Speech is born out of longing. True description from the real taste. The one who tastes knows. The one who explains lies. How can you describe the true form of something in whose presence you are blotted out and whose being you still exist and who lives as a sign for your journey. This poem is called Reality. Notice how it so beautifully references how there is in mysticism this notion of being lost in the awesomeness of the divine. That is mysticism, to feel that connection to the divine. And yet, you are not lost. You still exist. You are still this beautiful created being. You are both 
that is omnipresence and who lives as a sign for your journey. The divine is everywhere. In fact, I'm going to talk about a synchronicity or kind of a sign that occurred while I was preparing for this program to help me add yet another poem that I hadn't even intended to add. One I had not seen. We'll talk about that in a minute. Notice how the, the, um, we use words to describe these things. We also, within this poem, we are talking about the wordless, how words cannot even capture the divine essence. And by the way, something, how can you describe the true form of something is with a capital S. It is beyond our ability to describe. Often we deny that it exists, and that is a very severe misconception in our world right now. And it's actually doing a great deal of harm when we are hostile to the notion of the divine. And it is my every hope and certainly my path in life to continue to remind people of the existence and the importance of spirituality, which is so easily and rapidly diminished. And it's very important, especially when we can see that we are all together. We are individuals. We are having our own life journeys, but we are also bound together in this space of unconditional love, in this space of the omnipresent divine. And I do believe, as the reality poem suggests, that we can even, yes, scientifically observe the existence of a spiritual realm. But we're afraid, so often afraid, to even look. It's frightening to people because they don't understand the biggest questions of the world. And those big questions have to do with why do bad things happen? on this planet, and it's a terrifying notion to people that there could be a divine and bad things that happen. But that has to do with our not being puppets on strings. We are here making choices. We can make a higher choice. We can make a love-filled choice. There are difficult things that happen here, for sure, and this is not always easy. In any given situation, it can be difficult to know what to do. But when we place our faith in the divine and we feel it all around us, when we 
see the signs. And there are signs, and you can jointly witness them with others. Some things that can happen, they're so very statistically improbable. These things can be observed, even mathematically, if we have the courage to look. I'm going to proceed. In fact, I may... Well, I think I'm going to go to Henry David Thoreau next, because that's really what motivated this program, even more than William Blake, because of something that showed up that I did not read last week, although it came up in a different way. This is an example where I had marked a page for some reason, and I didn't even know this was on the page. And it's a remarkable passage in Walden, which is a reflection on Henry David Thoreau's time in nature. And he has other more metaphysical reflections as well in the midst of this. Henry David Thoreau lived from 1817 to 1862. We might try our lives by a thousand simple tests, as, for instance, that the same sun which ripens my beans illumines at once a system of earths like ours. If I had remembered this, it would have prevented some mistakes. This was not the light in which I hoped them, Stars are the apexes of what wonderful triangles, what distant and different beings in the various mansions of the universe are contemplating the same one at the same moment. Nature and human life are as various as our several constitutions. Who shall say what prospect life offers to another? Could a greater miracle take place than for us to look through each other's eyes for an instant? We should live in all the ages of the world in an hour. I in all the worlds of the ages. History, poetry, mythology, I know of no reading of another's experience so startling and informing as this would be. I will expect that I'll be doing more programs referencing this passage, and it actually relates to some things I've said in other programs, rather synchronicity. Rather synchronistically, I might say, we are individuals. And yes, in this passage, Henry David Thoreau, who would have thought in Walden, a very earth-based, nature-based, nature-based, I don't know why I'm stumbling over my words today. (laughs) That's fine. It's a nature-based essay 
and yet he's contemplating worlds beyond ours. That's a very astute and intelligent thing to do. And he's thinking about those worlds in an empathic way, in a namaste kind of a way. Let's use that word for a moment. How you recognize the divine in one another. And what would it be like to look through one another's eyes? What would we feel? What would we see? How is that possible? It's an astounding piece of writing, truthfully. Ultimately, the notion of omnipresence guides us to empathy. I can't tell you how many times I've heard it said, and there are a lot of discussions, and I've done programs on this, of looking for beings outside of the Earth, looking for exoplanets, which are planets outside of the Earth, outside of um, our solar system, looking for signs of life. And I've heard it said so many times that they would view us as ants, that these would be such, oh, callous and, you know, callous, dark, truthfully, lower vibrational beings, perhaps technologically very advanced, but not emotionally advanced at all, who wouldn't care a bit about us. That is such, such a horrible projection. They would want to see through our eyes. And if evolved enough, they were all, they would already be seen through our eyes. There would be no distance. There would be no time. It wouldn't matter where or when they lived. If they had developed their mystical awareness enough to embrace omnipresence if they had lived long enough, if they had studied and worked and allowed themselves to open up to this awareness, they would love us and we would love them. They would be no different than any other being, any other human being, Henry David Thoreau talks about that too. How, what would it be like to truly understand another person's experience? And yet here we all are on these journeys in the midst of the divine. Someday our stories will be known. When we go to the other side, someday you'll be able to see and feel and live and know the life stories of others. And you'll be astonished by them. Perhaps people made what wrong choices, lower vibrational choices along the way. There is no perfect human story. That's why you're here to learn. We're all here to learn. We're not puppets. And we need to remember that because our spirituality carries with it a responsibility to freedom. 
the way that we structure society is important. And when the non-spiritually attuned are in too much influence, even those hostile to spirituality, those who say it's incompatible with science, that's ridiculous. What it's incompatible with is materialism, which is a form, is a theory of science. Spirituality is fully capable of being observed with science, which is the pursuit of truth. Truth is very important, yes. Now I'm going to move to Ralph Waldo Emerson because this poem is nearby. This is one I found just today. Or maybe I re-found it, because that happens a lot. Ralph Waldo Emerson lived from 1803 to 1852. This particular poem just showed up today. In fact, there's another one I'm going to talk about that that just showed up in a little bit. This poem is called The Apology. And it relates to nature. Think me not unkind and rude that I walk alone in grove and glen. I go to the god of the the wood to fetch his word to men. Tax not my sloth that I fold my arms beside the brook. Each cloud that floated in the sky writes a letter in my book. Chide me not, laborious band, for the idle flowers I brought. Every aster in my hand goes home loaded with a thought. There was never mystery, but it is figured in the flowers. Was never secret history, but birds tell it in the bowers. One harvest from thy field, homeward brought the oxen strong. A second crop thine acres yield, which I gather in a song. I love that little poem by Ralph Waldo Emerson. Perhaps I've read it before. I don't think I've read it here, but I'm rediscovering it, or maybe for the first time. If it's not the first, it's probably the second. That is a beautiful poem about inspiration. Because the omnipresence of the divine has a lot to do with inspiration. And how we're not spending idle time when we're out in beauty. Not at all. And how he was an incredible writer who was bringing forth this astounding, in many cases, you know, verse that connected us to the divine. And so nature was a conduit. His time in nature, he's saying, is every bit as important as anyone working because he was doing his work. It's just like when I'm doing this program, I'm doing my work. 
And there are times that I'm out in nature, and that is a form of my work as well. Because it is an opportunity to reflect. I'm going to, for a moment, to recognize those of you listening to the live program on Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for being here today. I will continue this program past the live show as I normally do, just a little ways past. But I want to guide you to FrontierBeyondFear.com, which is up to date, for more information on this program. And I thank Blog Talk Radio for featuring this program live on their homepage. It's also been the featured program today um, at the top of the spirituality live page and I haven't actually looked let's see oh it's quite you know it's quite um, prominently placed on the overall live page so in all those ways I thank blog talk radio for supporting this program and I thank those of you listening live you'll be able to hear the rest in the podcast soon after the show I'm going to continue to kind of a fun synchronicity. This is a preview for those of you listening live to come to the podcast later. And by the way, I recognize those of you who um, are listening to the podcast across time. You are with me across time and across space in this very moment. This next poem is kind of fun, how it appeared. Before the show... I didn't think I'd be doing another poem, but there was a bookmark. I have a couple of books. One is uh, British literature, and the other, in fact, there's several books or multiple volumes. The other is American literature, and I love opening these books and just looking for things and seeing what appears because I trust in my connection to the divine because I know the divine is omnipresent. I can feel it and know it, and I've seen evidence of it. So here is an example of a statistically improbable synchronicity, a meaningful coincidence. There was a bookmark out of place. It was actually in the American book, and it was from a previous show. It was um, it gave the dates of... Um, it, it was it said Percy Bysshe Shelley, and when he lived, 1792 to 1822, and it was in the wrong book, and it was sort of in the front of the book, and I thought, oh, I better put it in the right book. So I put it in the British book, which is huge. The British book, one of the volumes, let's see, this particular volume of the British book that I get a number of writings from, and it's just one of the volumes, is how long? 1330, 1,330 pages. I randomly placed the bookmark in the book without any thought of where. I am not an expert on Shelley. I didn't say, oh, Shelley's probably about here, so I'm going to put the bookmark there. I didn't even think about it. I just wanted it in the right book. I would look for Shelley later. So I put the bookmark just in the book. And this is a, another 
there are two volumes. This is the second volume, and the other volume is just as big. A very large book, old-fashioned kind of book. I love books. I opened, was led to open this book to where I'd place the bookmark. Oh, well, maybe there was something there that I needed to read. Because, you know, when you're trusting, what Rabia reminds us of is you trust in the signs that guide you. And I thought maybe I need to see what's on that page. Guess what was on that page, which is page 323. Guess who was the poet on that page? Percy Bysshe Shelley. That is so statistically improbable. I did not intend that. I wasn't even looking for that. I wasn't even trying for that. It would be like putting a blindfold on and shooting at a target because I wasn't even trying to get to wherever Percy was. And yet it opened right to this page, and it has a relevant poem, both. If we could study such things scientifically, yes, we would observe the spiritual. We absolutely would. We would know that there is more to this reality than meets the eye. And these things happen all the time. They are very detailed. People will say, these critics, oh, you know, you're looking for a red car, and so you see a red car. This is far beyond that. This, the things that happen that are real are statistically so improbable. You can't use the word impossible. Technically, nothing is statistically impossible, but it's as close to statistically impossible. I mean, I've seen other things that are probably closer to that. And I've, these are the aspects of a spiritual life. We are all able to live in this way, and yet we shut the door and don't even want to consider it. And we live a very, huh, it would be like living a blind life. I actually had a dream last night where in part of it I was blind, and then my vision came to me. It would be like being blind. Don't you want to open your eyes? It's so sad. I feel for my the people that I know who can't experience this because they're missing out. It is, it is absolutely like being blind and deaf. You see a very limited part of the world. Sure, you might learn to function, and this is no um, disrespect to people with disabilities who learn how to function and even excel, but you're still missing out on an entire level of experience that is available to us. So I opened to two songs from Prometheus Unbound. And the particular one here that I saw right away was My Soul is an Enchanted Boat. I'm not going to read this entire verse because it's fairly long, and I just found it right before the show, so I'm finding my way back to the best um, place to read. Fine, I'll start at the beginning of My Soul is an Enchanted Boat by Percy Bysshe Shelley. Page 
My soul is an enchanted boat, which like a sleeping swan doth float upon the silver waves of thy sweet singing. And thine doth like an angel sit behind, beside the helm, conducting it, whilst all the winds with melody are ringing. It seems to float ever, forever, upon that many winding river between mountains, woods, abysses, a paradise of wildernesses, till like one in slumber bound, born to the ocean, I float down around into a sea profound of ever-spreading sound. Meanwhile, thy spirit lifts its pinions in music's most serene dominions, catching the winds that fan that happy heaven, and we sail on away afar, without a course, without a star, but by the instinct of sweet music driven, till through Elysian garden islets, by the most beautiful of pilots, where never mortal pinnace glided, the boat of my desire is guided, realms where the air we breathe is love, which in the winds and on the waves doth move, harmonizing this earth with what we feel above. That is the first part of this poem. Actually, I'm going to read the rest. I'm just reading it now. I need to read. It's just another small part. As have past ages icy caves and manhood's dark and tossing waves and youth's smooth ocean smiling to betray, beyond the glassy gulfs we flee of shadow-peopled infancy through death and birth to a diviner day, a paradise of vaulted bowers lit by downward-gazing flowers and watery paths that wind between wildernesses calm and green, peopled by shapes too bright to see, and rest, having beheld somewhat like thee, which walk upon the sea and chant melodiously. Shelley was known for the beauty, the romanticism, he came from the romantic period of his verse, and you can see that. So I read this entire um, song, one of two songs from Prometheus Unbound, and it's called My Soul is an Enchanted Boat. And notice how it talks about the omnipresent divine, the connection. Love, by the way, is with a capital L. Harmonizing the earth with what we feel above, the connection to the divine and it talks about our youth our our dark and tossing waves when we're here on the earth our imperfection through our choices and that's important what if we had no choices there would be no humanity there would just be 
I guess there would just be the divine. There wouldn't be created beings living on a journey. This notion of being on a journey shows up in more than one verse that I've read today. And it's really important because we are living in a time when people who are not spiritual, they they are not connected to what this is, are making very harmful choices. And yeah, they have the choice to make choices as well. We have the choice to be able to show how spiritually these things are incompatible with our journeys, that we do not want to go towards a situation where more and more people are puppets, where even spirituality itself is frowned upon because people are blind. It would be like people who can't see anything, and you can see, and a whole bunch of people can see, they create a world where there is only darkness. Or they create a world where there is no sound. Notice how Shelley talks about melodious sound. There is such a richness to the world. And this is a process of discovery. It's not us and them. Spirituality is real. And I do believe the age of materialism will pass. We overcorrected as a society because people who were claiming to be spiritual became very oppressive themselves. Once again, the notion of creating puppets on a string, and that's not the way it's supposed to be. So people overreacted, and this notion of science apart from spirituality, when the two are not incompatible, rose up when what it really was was materialism a materialistic view of the world. And by that, I don't mean just based in greed, although greed can be a part of it, but just where there just isn't any more than this. You know, there's a material world and that's it. There is no spirituality. That is an illusion. That is a delusion. Um, That thing that happened to me today with the poem, well, that's just a coincidence. Oh, these coincidences happen all the time. Well, you see enough of these coincidences you will realize that they are real and they are provable. If someone had been sitting next to me, I mean, I didn't go and search exhaustively. I mean, sure, I can't prove it to you. But there are situations where we sit together and observe and we can observe things that are of the spiritual. And these things are worthy of being studied because they will transform our lives and the world. Which brings me full circle to the theme of this program today. Of course, the omnipresence of the divine and knowing that and glimpsing it. We can't know it all. Of course not. Rabia said that very well. But we are not nothing either. That part of Rabia's verse could be misinterpreted, that there's only this nothingness that you're lost in the divine and that's it. But that's not all that was said. We exist. We are loved. We are love. And we can study these things. We can help to wake other people up because there is a hostility within this world to the things that they fear. They don't want to know 
that the spiritual world is real because it frightens them. They may not realize that's what it is, but in the most cases, yes, because it doesn't make sense, because it means that all this darkness is a part of the world, and yet there's some higher purpose. That's really frightening, because then who's this higher purpose about? What is this higher being about? Why is this allowed? Well, everybody asks that question in this sense. Like, is it too dark? I mean, why is it this way? Sure. But it has to do with humanity being free. But we are also drawn to the divine. How could we not be drawn to that essence of what we are? And what a gaping hole exists within our hearts when we shut that door. There's an opening door to the light. That's the theme of my program. I've talked about it many times, the beautiful artwork of Richard Crooks. He drew it. He created this a long time ago. What if you just slammed that door shut? What if you never opened it at all? What if you were so afraid or so sure that there was nothing beyond the door? Maybe you didn't even see the door at all. Maybe you only saw a fence and no door. And yet there's this astonishing world. And it turns out it's all around you and in you and in all of us. How would this change us? It would change us dramatically. And it is a part of our continuing growth. If we don't raise our sights and choose to live a path of darkness, It will be sad that this age will pass away. But we would find another place to start again. Let's hope that it doesn't come to that. We have a piece of the puzzle. We're holding it. The piece itself holds empowerment which is important, it holds magic, essentially. It holds miracles. It holds everything we could possibly seek. Yes, it holds a far more expansive way of looking for beings beyond the earth. As nice as it is that people are opening up to the idea at all, it's so very limiting to assume that technology is the path to all advancement. Technology is very likely just a very short phase and one that is not easily survivable without spirituality's help. Some beings may use it longer. It's hard to know. They have choices. We have choices. But the divine is so much more than that. We fear death, and so we look for ways within technology to prolong life. Some of those ways are actually really harmful because there's a reason why we come and and we need to pass and transition and see what is on the other side, and we return. 
we're so short-sighted. There is a great deal of pride, of hubris. There is greed. There are a lot of harmful motivations. Spirituality can heal what ails us. We simply need to open our eyes to who we are, who we all are in the midst of all of our imperfection, how God is necessarily everywhere, and how we can be assisted, and how on our journeys it doesn't have to be so hard. You're doing it the incredibly difficult way when you divorce yourself from sight because we can see, we can hear, we can be more than we know, and we can even prove many of these things. I invite you again to visit FrontierBeyondFear.com and I should be here next week. This program broadcasts live again 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Blog Talk Radio and then you can find it on several of your favorite podcasting platforms which I still intend to continue to expand when I get around to it. So I invite you once again to enjoy our new theme, Kevin McLeod's Living Voyage, freely available to us under Creative Commons. You'll see the attribution on the show page. And he gives a great deal of music to the world, so I like to, especially as we're just starting to use this new theme, and I'm enjoying it on this program. I'll see you next time. Really reflect upon these things. Go look for poetry yourself and see what you can see. Go out into nature and feel that essence. Feel your connection. Take care, everyone.